20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What is up, everybody? Welcome in to an all new episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. Yes, I am your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. I cannot tell you how great and amazing it is to be talking to you today. For somebody who does this 365 days a year, for somebody who's been doing this for over five years consecutive, for somebody who I don't think has missed a day, uh, at least you know prior to training camp, we've never missed a day, period, on the podcast in this entire time. But for me personally, it's been a while since I haven't been on. To not have an episode to do or to not be able to do this for two consecutive weeks, I think longer than that, uh, has felt insane. I feel like I'm out of my mind. I don't even know if I'm going to still know how to do this. Uh, I'm hoping that it's just like riding a bike. I know it's only been two weeks, but like I said, when you do it every single day for so long and then miss two weeks of doing it, man, does it feel weird. And for those of you wondering, like two weeks, Andy, I just heard you like a week ago. Uh, For those who don't know, uh, a week ago or two weeks ago now, I went on vacation to Florida for a full week, but, but I wisely recorded a whole week's worth of episodes in advance, except for one, except for the Jacob and Jacob uh, Senior Bowl episode, which I knew I wasn't going to be able to give full attention to the Senior Bowl as I was, you know, getting everything else prepared for the week in advance. So I asked them to do that episode um, and fill in for me on that day. Um, outside of that episode, I recorded all those episodes in advance up until the following Saturday. And I I was, you know, I had everything set up perfect, right? Everything was going to go off without a hitch and I would get back. We left Friday morning. I even already recorded Saturday's episode just in case there'd be a cancellation with the flight or whatever might happen. So it gives me an extra day of leeway. I would get back Friday night, have some time to kick back still, and then get right back in the routine on Saturday. And it would feel to everyone else like, you know, nobody ever missed to beat. But unfortunately, the best laid plans always don't go according to plan. And on Friday morning in Florida, I woke up sick. I wasn't too bad for the first couple days, but it wasn't great. Um, And then from there, it just got worse and worse. And I'm still not 100%, but I'm so much better. And I just want to say thank you, first of all, to those who reached out in the comments or, um, you know, via DM or email, etc. Just to wish me well. I appreciated it a ton. It did not go unnoticed. So thank you so much for that. Um, Also, thank you to the incredible people who filled in while I was out. I take it extremely seriously that when we say we're a daily podcast, that we do 365 days a year. And the fact that even while I was out, we had somebody covering the YouTube and the audio version, and of course, Ross doing the amazing Mock Draft Monday stuff. I apologize that I didn't always have the same cadence as I normally did, uh, getting everything back up and running, but uh, it is so great to be back. And thank you to all the people on the Packaday team who filled in to keep those episodes going and us still not missing a day for over 2,000 episodes straight. It is an amazing team. They step up every single time. Uh, This is really the first time I've missed any extended time since I had my gallbladder out, and I think the very first year of doing this. But man, ever since then, um, you know, it's been pretty smooth sailing, but this was one of those unexpected, unforeseen circumstances. But I am, like I said, so insanely happy to be back, and hopefully we have no interruptions from here on out. 
Today's episode is sort of going to be a, uh, you know, basically a recap of everything that's happened over the course of the last two weeks that I missed out on, or at least have not had the opportunity to talk about and comment on. And then we'll get back into our normal, you know, episodic series where we have very, you know, specific and distinct topics that we're going through day in and day out. But I want to start actually with the NFL awards. Now, from an NFL awards standpoint, Packers didn't, unfortunately, have a lot to write home about. Aaron Jones was a finalist, um, you know, for for his award. I forget if it was the Walter. I don't think it was the Walter Payton Man of the Year. I think it was the other one. I think there's two, like um, you know, teamwork and humanitarian sort of things. But either way, I know he was a finalist. I know uh, the Patriots long snapper. What is it, Coronado or? Cordano, one of those two, something like that. Either way, it doesn't matter. I know he ultimately won it uh, and Jones did not. But there was one major award that did go Green Bay's way and that was the fan of the year. And I want to start with that one because there's a couple of cool things here. One, Tom Grassi, uh, fan of the show, uh, or at least should say friend of the show, uh, have had the opportunity to have him on in the past. He's done a couple of the live episodes and I've done a audio episode with him in the past. So I think he's probably been on three times would be my guess. But either way, um, I've had the opportunity to meet Tom in person. Uh, we both went to a couple Bucks playoff games, um, had the opportunity to get uh, dinner with him beforehand, along with Tyler Herrick, had the opportunity to, to go to uh, a couple different, you know, like sort of training camp meetups with Tom. There are people who know Tom far better than I do. Uh, but I've had the opportunity to meet him and talk to him on a couple different occasions. And everything you hear is true. Stand-up dude does it for all the right reasons and is the perfect person, not only for fan of the year, obviously what he did for the 30 and 30 goes without saying and raising money for St. Jude. Um, that just shows you who he is. Um, his chaotic good has spoken for itself, but he's the perfect avatar for Packers fandom everywhere. And that's what I think is so cool about this specific award and how so many people rallied around that in the Packers sphere. So many things that I want to say on that. First of all, um, one of the really cool things about Tom that I can say that I did have the interaction with before I jumped ship to go full-time into doing uh, podcasting and covering the Packers full-time and leaving my day job, I wanted to cross every T and dot every I that I possibly could. I did forecasting. I saw a financial advisor. I saw my accountant. I did uh, like everything you could possibly imagine. And one of the things that I did is I wanted to reach out to a couple people that did the podcasting thing full-time or made that their full-time thing. And Tom was one of those people. And I reached out to him and said, Hey, can, I know you're busy. Can I just have a few minutes of your time to just kind of talk through anything that I might be missing? And of course, Tom did not take a few minutes. He took as much time as I needed and answered a billion different questions and shared his own insights and his own story and just gave me um, all the information that I needed to just be you know, super assured in what I was doing that it was the right thing. And it has been a million percent the right thing. But the fact that he took the time to do that, again, it just goes to show you the type of person that he is. Could not be more proud of him. What an awesome award for him. What an awesome award for Packers fandom. And this was the other cool thing that I wanted to mention really quick too. Tom and Johnny Barks are out doing their thing in you know the fan of the year and doing the whole circuit there and representing Packers fandom. Peter Bukowski was out on Radio Row. I thought he did a tremendous job asking Jordan Love questions and just covering the entire event and getting Packers content for Packers fans. Meanwhile, I'm on vacation and of course have FOMO of all this stuff that's going on. 
Um, you know, Aaron Nagler continues to do amazing things with Cheesehead TV and is covering all the things that are going on and Justice Mesquita and so on and so forth. The cool thing here is that there's this constant appreciation and respect and admiration, I think, amongst so many of these Packers, um, you know, podcasters and entities and fans and alike. And there's an insatiable thirst in Packers fandom. And I think we saw that in the support that Tom got throughout this entire process, which was unbelievable. Again, awesome to see him win it. This is the first time I ever turned in, tuned in to any sports award show ever. And it had nothing to do with a sports award. I mean, a, like a, a player award. It had to do with cheering on Tom and seeing him win it, which was, again, amazing. But um, seeing Tom do his thing, uh, seeing Peter crush it out at the, you know, the, the whole week of, of Radio Row, uh, it was just, it was really cool. It just, again, it, it shows you, Peter and I could be, you know, enemies because he does Locked On and I do Pack a Day and we're in the same sphere. And Air Nagler and I could, you know, butt heads and be like, no, we're not going to do stuff because he's Cheesehead TV and I'm Pack a Day. And instead it's like, no, Justice and I collaborate all the time, even though he's Acme Packing. And I do stuff with Aaron Nagler all the time. And I've done stuff with Peter, and I'm actually hoping to have him on later this week. And there's just, again, Tom and I have done stuff. Wes Hodkovitz is writing up the report uh, or the, the article on, on Tom and gets to go out to New York to do the whole thing with Roger Goodell. And there's just this amazing Packers fear that I love. And that's what makes me, like, that. that's what had me beaming from Florida, even though I had this great FOMO of everything that was going on. Um, just beaming of like, there's this connected tissue in everything in the Packers sphere. And I know I'm just a small piece of that, but just to be able to even call myself a small piece of that is such a cool thing. And again, I just think it's really cool that even though there's these competing interests and everyone's trying to do their best and keeps raising the bar, by the way, everyone knock it off because the bar keeps getting ridiculously high. Uh, but it's a really cool community to be a part of, and there's no greater community I'd rather be a part of than the the entire Packer sphere. And I just thought the accumulation of that being Tom winning fan of the year was the chef kiss, perfect icing on the cake. So Tom Grassi, congratulations. Keep killing it, my friend. All right, next I want to talk about, and, and sort of my main topic for today, is the coaching changes that the Packers made over the course of the past couple weeks. Now, Halfley, we already knew about. I've talked about him. I'll go into more detail on him over the course of this week. I'm actually hoping to talk with Justice Mosqueda about the change to the 4-3 defense. I'll talk a little bit about it today, but I'm going to save that for my discussion with Justice. Um, but we already knew about that. One thing I will say is when Halfley got fired, or hired, excuse me, uh, when he got hired and I was leaving for Florida and I'm like, oh, this sucks. I'm going to go through, you know, go to Florida and I'm going to miss the entire Halfley press conference. I get, you know, we get back from Florida and the entire press, I like get to Friday morning. I'm like, oh, I'm going to make it back in time for Halfley's press conference. So I get back and of course I get sick immediately. And then I have like a week long illness and I'm like, oh, now I'm, gonna, I'm sick and they're going to call the press conference during the night. I have gone through a week in Florida and a week long illness. Uh, and now the, they still have yet to do the press conference for Halfley and the entire staff. So I have, uh, of course, a few appointments this upcoming week, and I just know they're going to schedule it during the same time. But Packers, thank you very much for waiting for me to get back from Florida and recovering from a week-long illness to introduce Jeff Halfley as the new defensive coordinator so I can hopefully, fingers crossed, go to the press conference. Uh, but excited for that. Uh, what I did want to discuss, I think I talked about this a little bit on the happy hour right before I left, but there have been some rumors and reports that Halfley might have actually been Green Bay's third choice. 
Now, one is a little bit more strong on that than the other, but Aaron Wilson, who's a well-known, well-respected NFL reporter who gets a lot of scoops on a lot of different things and they're always accurate, he reported uh, that the Packers actually offered Ravens now defensive coordinator Zach Orr the position and he turned them down and eventually stayed with the Ravens. Then uh Ejiro Evero, excuse me, Ejiro Evero, um it, there was reports all along that there was uh mutual interest between the Packers and Evero. Jeremy Fowler reiterated that that there was mutual interest between the two and then Albert Breer had also reported that Evero was near or at the top of the Packers list when their defensive coordinator search started. Now, Evero never became available. He stayed as the Panthers defensive coordinator. The Panthers never let him out of that. He was able to do head coaching interviews, but not defensive coordinator interviews. And he ended up staying in Carolina under that position and really probably didn't have much of an option. He probably could have fought it a little bit at some point, but he's staying in Carolina. But whether or not Green Bay would have made an offer to Evero, we will never know. Again, it's reported that he was at or near the top of the list. That doesn't necessarily mean anything. That could be at or near the top of the interview list, not necessarily the we are going to for sure hire him list, but it's an interesting note nonetheless. And then Zach Orr, again, Aaron Wilson, very reputable as to whether or not you know he actually turned down Green Bay. We have reports still that you know Jim Leonard turned down uh, the Packers for that job. We never we know. We don't know a million percent for sure. That the, the, I'm sure the reports are true, but it's not like the Packers ever announced, yep, we offered, and he said no. It's not like Leonard's ever confirmed anything. I think he actually did go on the record. But either way, my point being overall is I don't care. And it would not be great, of course. It's not ideal if Green Bay doesn't get their first choice, maybe even their second choice, and they have to settle for their third choice. That certainly did not go well when they did not get their first choice in Jim Leonard, and then they had to settle for Joe Barry. This is an entirely different process, in my opinion. Green Bay had a plethora of defensive coordinator candidates that were out there. All of them, which I thought, not all of them, but a great deal of which I thought had a great potential to be really good to great defensive coordinators. And the truth of the matter is they could have hired Evero and he could have turned out great, or he could have turned out as like another Joe Barry or Dom Capers or Mike Pettin, etc end of career Dom Capers. Uh, you know, they could have hired, you know, Zach Orr and he could have ended up the next Joe Barry. He could have ended up the next Mike Pettin. He could have ended up the next Fritz Shermer. We just don't, and that'd be a very good thing, by the way. We just don't know. The same thing goes for Jeff Halfley. He could be the next Joe Barry. He could be the next Fritz Shermer. He could be the next, who knows? I don't care because I think Jeff Halfley is a great candidate. I think Zach Orr would have been a really good candidate. I think, you know, Ajiro Evero would have been a great candidate. I think there was other great candidates that were out there. We will only know if it's a good hire by seeing what the, the new defensive coordinator ultimately does with this team. And he will be judged on that. We would have never known at the time of hire. You know, like It's not like we can put together a perfect power rankings of here's Evero, here's Orr, here's Denard Wilson, here's Halfley, here's like... How do you even go about possibly doing that? The only thing that you can do now, there is truth to the fact that there were over half the league now with the 49ers, by the way, firing their defensive coordinator. There'll be 17 defensive coordinator replacements this offseason, over half the league. So we will be able to compare and contrast how some of these defensive coordinators do against Halfley this upcoming season and beyond. But 
overall, what I wanted from this hire was a logic behind it, a sound theory, and I wanted hope and optimism. And to me, Jeff Halfley gives me that. Zach Orr would have given me that. Ejiro Evero would have given me that. I would have had hope and optimism, and I would have seen some sort of vision as to what Green Bay was trying to do. Personally, I like the Halfley hire a little bit more than both of them. And that's not with like the benefit of hindsight. I went through this process. Now, Halfley's an interesting one because I Evero, I went through obviously beforehand and I went through previously when he was a candidate. Um, and then Zach Orr, I went through before the Packers made the hire. Uh, Halfley, nobody knew about until they actually hired him. So there was some you know benefit of like already knowing he's the coordinator. But as I you know parsed through Halfley compared to everyone else, I still think Christian Parker would have been really interesting, but I would have put Halfley's resume and experience right up against anyone else's and how he fits in. And I think there's this very sweet spot that he fits in of having this unique experience while also being a previous head coach, while having defensive backs experience, NFL, college, He just and also being sort of this young, energetic, bringing new ideas, probably going to blitz a little bit more, probably going to play more cover one, probably going to play more press man, going to be a little bit more you know, apt to stop the run. There's a lot of things that I'm really excited about. And that's what I wanted from this hire. So quite frankly, I don't necessarily really care if Zach Orr was their first choice or Evero was their first choice or if Halfley was their first choice. And we'll never probably know 100% for sure. But at the end of the day, I like the hire and that's ultimately what's important. And I don't have any idea or you know, really qualms with it. And maybe we'll look back and maybe Zach Orr will go on to be one of the great defensive minds in the next generation. And maybe Ejiro Evero will go on to be the next Bill Belichick. And maybe Halfley will be just another failed Packers defensive coordinator. We can look back and be like, man, Green Bay should have offered more money or Matt LaFleur should have been more persuasive. But as we sit here right now, without the benefit of hindsight, I love the hire and I think it was a great direction to go in. And I don't really care if he was first, second, third, fourth, or fifth on their list. I think they got a good one and I'm excited to see what he can do moving forward. All right. Meanwhile, there've been a variety of different coaching changes in Green Bay over the past couple weeks. Jerry Montgomery, Kirk Olivadotti, and Greg Williams all are gone from the defensive side of the ball. I think there was this initial fear that when Halfley came in, it was going to be Halfley and the existing staff, which was going to be weird because there's been like mostly this existing staff through this entire time from, from Petten into Barry and now into Halfley. And it's like, man, do you really want to do that? But that was not the case. They did keep a couple guys around, but Jerry Montgomery, Kirk Olivadotti, and Greg Williams, all gone. Olivadotti is now the linebackers coach for the Seahawks. Greg Williams has not gone anywhere yet that I have seen. And Jerry Montgomery is now the defensive line coach for the New England Patriots. Meanwhile, Joe Barry has landed with the Miami Dolphins as their linebackers coach and run game coordinator. I think all of those are good signings for the opposing teams. The the Jerry Montgomery you know situation kind of reminds me of James Campen. And James Campen was a beloved offensive line coach for Green Bay, but it also kind of felt like it was maybe just time to go in a different direction. And then they bring in Adam Stenovich and Stenovich, of course, was you know great offensive line coach and you didn't really miss a beat there. And I'm hoping it's the same for Jerry Montgomery, who I think did some really nice things in Green Bay. I think he's going to make a great defensive line coach for New England, but I'm excited that Green Bay is going to maybe change things up a little bit and maybe get a little bit of fresh blood on that defensive line. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But Overall, you know, Olivadotti, Greg Williams, Jerry Montgomery, not necessarily upset to see any of those guys go. I think the truth of the matter is this defense just needed an influx of energy and ideas and just something new. 
And I don't think that was going to happen if everything just stayed the status quo besides changing defensive coordinator. So I like, even though I like some of those coaches and Olivadotti, Montgomery, Williams, all three of them are probably great coaches. I don't, I still don't necessarily mind going in a different direction and allowing Halfley to hire some of the guys that he wants to bring in, which it does seem like he was able to do, which I think is a win overall. Now, staying on the staff, Ryan Downard, defensive backs coach. This made sense all along. Downard and Halfley have coached together in the past, so you kind of saw that one coming from a mile away. Jason Rebrovich, this is more of an interesting one, but not necessarily uh, surprising or you know, not a bad thing. And the reason I say that is he's going to be the new defensive line coach. Remember, he was the pass rusher specialist and kind of the edge rusher coach before. This is going to allow him probably to continue to coach Rashawn Gary and Kingsley Nigbari and Preston Smith, assuming he's still on the team, which I think he will be. And, you know, that entire, you know, obviously um, Lucas Van Ness as well, Brenton Cox. You've got a pretty young group of players there that are, you know, still very moldable, especially with, you know, guys like Rashawn is still to me in that group. Um, and then, of course, LVN, Brenton Cox, Kingsley Nigbari. To me, keeping this uh, somebody that's familiar with them and is you know somebody that can continue to try to get the most out of them, I think makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure now Rebrovich is going to have a little bit more say over the interior defensive line as well. And we'll see, maybe that can help Devontae White a little bit. Maybe that can help out TJ Slayton a little bit. I'm excited to see where this defensive line goes, but I think Rebrovich staying makes sense. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. And then while we're just on the topic of coaches staying, it has been reported as well that Tom Clements is going to be staying as quarterbacks coach, which of course is huge news. That was one of the questions I wanted to ask Matt at his season ending press conference and got the opportunity to do so. I asked him about keeping Tom and he initially took it as like, well, why wouldn't we want to keep him? I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like, I'm not worried about you guys wanting to keep Tom. I'm worried about Tom wanting to keep, you know, with you guys and wanting to keep coaching. But it sounds like Tom is going to stick around for at least another year. And that is huge news for Jordan Love and his continued development. So that might be one of the biggest pieces of news over the course of the past couple of weeks. And one that I don't just want to put under the radar, Tom Clement Stain is amazing. So Clement Stain, Rebrovich Stain, and Ryan Downard all Stain. Meanwhile, Green Bay makes a few really interesting additions to their defensive staff and their offensive staff. Let's start on the defensive side of the ball. First of all, they hire Anthony Campanile. Now, this was somebody that I had on my long list. I'm not saying he was like a top five guy or anything like that, but he was definitely on a list of people that I considered as a potential defensive coordinator candidate for Green Bay when the position initially came open. And if you think I'm crazy, uh, one, you can go back and look at the tournament that I put together on Twitter and he was on it. But two, the New York Giants interviewed him for their open defensive coordinator position. This is somebody who's been rising up the ranks. I'm surprised uh, Miami kind of let him get out of the building. It's kind of interesting that he and Joe Barry basically swap, uh, not swap for swap because Barry was obviously a defensive coordinator, but Joe Barry is taking Campanile's job in, um, you know, in Miami and Campanile comes and takes the run game coordinator and linebackers coach in Green Bay. So an interesting juxtaposition there. He will become the run game coordinator and linebackers coach. He interviewed, as I mentioned, for the Giants defensive coordinator position just this offseason. And one of the big things that he's going to be tasked with, two things. One is going to be fixing the run defense. This has been a abysmal run defense for far too long now. This is not going to be an easy task. And this is not something that just Campanile will be 
responsible for. Obviously, Halfley and the defensive line coach, Rebrovich, and everyone's going to be involved in that process. But he is now the run game coordinator, and it's going to be paramount that he figures out a way to get this Packers run defense performing at a much higher level, a much more efficient level, especially if the cover one philosophy is true and there's going to be an extra safety in the box. They have to be able to stop the run. If you're going to have eight guys in the box, well, guess what? You can't be allowing 4.5, five yards per carry on the ground. You better as heck be stopping the run with efficiency and making sure that they can't set up play action and do all this other stuff. It has to be a well-rounded run defense. Campanile had uh, very uh, it had great success with run defense in Miami. Hopefully that's something that he can carry over in Green Bay. And number two on his list of things is Quay Walker. We know that Quay took a little bit of a step in year two. I still don't think it was like this monumental step. I don't think he's this well-rounded, great inside linebacker, but he got better. But there is still this raw ball of clay there that is just waiting to break out in magnificent and spectacular ways. And Campanile will be responsible for getting the most out of him in this new system and making him into being all he can be. And it's not uncommon to see linebackers. You look at Patrick Queen, you look at Jordan Brooks, you look at some of these guys, usually the first couple years in the league are really learning curve years. And then guys take off from there. And that's what we need to see from Quay Walker. And that again, will be what Anthony Campanile will be responsible for. Uh, Campanile's background really quick. Started as a linebackers coach for Fairlawn High School in 2006, defensive coordinator for Don Bosco Prep, then an offensive coordinator, interestingly enough, for Don Bosco Prep, defensive assistant for Rutgers, tight ends coach for Rutgers, wide receivers coach for Rutgers, DB coach for Boston College, co-defensive coordinator and DB coach for Boston College, linebackers coach for Michigan, and then linebackers coach for Miami. One of the things I love, by the way, is coaches who have offensive and defensive coaching experience. It allows them vision on how both sides of the ball go about doing things, and it can give them a little bit more of a well-rounded approach. I think this is a phenomenal hire for Green Bay. Like I said, it, it wouldn't have been unheard of. Like If you would have told me a few weeks ago that Campanile was eventually the hire as defensive coordinator, I don't know that I would have been super inspired by it but it wouldn't have been like completely out of left field. So to get them him as their run game defensive coordinator or run game coordinator, uh, I think is a huge, huge hire. The one thing you have to be slightly worried about here is the potential that he is a defensive coordinator candidate. If Green Bay's run defense does take a huge jump and Green Bay's defense takes a huge jump, you could be looking at potentially losing him to a defensive coordinator job next year, but you worry about that next year if and when that comes to fruition. And usually that means the Packers had a really good defense, which if so, look the heck out. All right, then they hired, and I might butcher the last name, I apologize in advance, uh, Vince Ogabase, uh, assistant defensive line coach. He comes with Halfley from Boston College was a graduate assistant at Duke, then a graduate assistant at Ohio State, 49ers assistant defensive line coach, UCLA defensive line coach, and then Boston College defensive line coach. You wonder if he might work a little bit more on the interior of the defensive line and allow um, Rebrovich to work with those pass rushers on the outside a little bit more, but we'll see sort of how the you know separation of powers goes there, but I think he's going to be a great addition to the defensive line. And just like it's going to be up to... Um, yeah, Campanile to, to coach Quay Walker. I, I would expect these defensive line coaches, Devontae Wyatt is their raw ball of clay that they got to get a little bit more out of. So that's going to be, I think, a pet project for Ogabase. And we'll see if he can kind of get the most out of him. There, there's some really great stuff from Wyatt on tape last year. He just has to be more consistent and he has to be a better finisher. And hopefully those things will come in 2024 and beyond. 
All right. And then last but not least, Packers hired Derek Ansley as their pass game coordinator. You wonder if he'll have some like cornerbacks coach title as well to go along with that. Um, they don't have a corners coach. Now, again, Downard is their defensive backs coach, so they don't technically need one, but we'll see if he's just pass game coordinator, if there's something attached to that. But he also interviewed with the Giants for the defensive coordinator position, was the Chargers defensive coordinator just this past year. Now, we know that the Chargers in that Brandon Staley defense did not do well this past year. However, however, once Staley was fired and Ansley took over, the Chargers only allowed 17.7 points per game once he started calling the plays. So things got better once Staley left and once Ansley took over as the primary defensive mind and play caller. I think he will have a huge, huge role alongside Ryan Downard in fixing this Packers pass defense. And that's going to go with probably some new corners, some new safeties, and new identity in the defensive backfield. And really, it's going to be up to him to take this new system from Halfley and get it ingrained in all these Jair Alexanders and who's ever back, Eric Stokes. We'll see if they bring back a Nixon or a Savage or an Owens or who's back with Anthony Johnson Jr., Carrington Valentine. But this is going to be a brand new defense. And I just love the fact that they have somebody who has legit defensive coordinator experience, has called plays, and now is going to be just responsible for the passing game side of things. I think they got two great co-coordinators in, um, you know, obviously Ansley and then, um, you know, with Campanile as well to go along with Halfley. I think that trio is going to be an infusion of energy and electricity and just new ideas and a fresh way of playing defense. And I'm really, really excited about it. Again, the proof will be what they put on the field. I'm not crowning anyone. I'm not saying this defense is going to be top 10, but I like the vision that they've put together. I like the hires. And one of the things that all of these hires have been lauded for on defense is their energy and their intensity. Now we'll see what that means come practice time, but these are energetic, intense individuals that Green Bay has added into the coaching staff. And you have to think that that is going to pay dividends on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, as for Ansley, he was a defensive backs coach at Huntington, then a graduate assistant at Alabama, DB coach at Tennessee, DB coach at Kentucky, DB coach at Alabama, which by the way, if you get an opportunity to coach DBs at Alabama under Nick Saban, that is one of the best things that you can have on your resume. Saban, a phenomenal defensive backs coach and knows how to coach those guys to a T. That will come in extremely handy. Uh, after that, he was defensive backs coach for the Raiders, defensive backs coach for Tennessee, defensive coordinator and defensive backs coach for the Chargers, and then uh, um, defensive coordinator for the Chargers. Sorry, defensive backs coach for the Raiders. Sorry, defensive coordinator and defensive backs coach for Tennessee, defensive backs coach for the Chargers, and then defensive coordinator for the Chargers. Sorry about that mix up there. Um, but again, I think these guys are going to bring a ton of energy. Love the fact that he has that coordinator experience. Love the fact that he's coached with Alabama uh, and with Nick Saban. I think he's going to bring a great amount of experience and expertise to that defensive backs room that sorely needs it after some underperforming seasons, especially in the defensive backfield over what, the past decade plus. So I'm excited about that as well. Meanwhile, two new offensive coaches, Sean Mannion named to the offensive staff. Interesting hire here because of course we talked about it earlier, you know, their quarterbacks coach is staying and then Connor Lewis is still the assistant quarterbacks coach. My guess is he's like an offensive, you know, quality control specialist or something like that. But don't be surprised if this is a fast track for Sean Mannion, potentially getting a quarterback's coach uh, job in the future. 
You just don't know what's going to happen in Green Bay when you have a 70-year-old quarterbacks coach already. So this is the opportunity for maybe him to get ingrained in the building, to get used to coaching and talking and mentoring uh, Jordan Love and potentially being that quarterbacks coach moving forward. And Connor Lewis will definitely be in that conversation as well. But I think it's a great hire. It, to me, it sort of he, he coached obviously with Kevin O'Connell. It very much harkens back to Kevin O'Connell, who was a middling backup NFL quarterback who had a very bright mind, who got his job, you know, kind of worked his way up as an offensive assistant, quarterbacks coach, coordinator, and then became a head coach. I think you could very much look at something similar down the road for Sean Mannion, where he starts as an offensive, you know, assistant, and then he becomes a quarterbacks coach, and a quarterbacks coach, and a passing game coordinator, then an offensive coordinator someday, and maybe down the line he becomes a head coach as well. I'm not saying that that's just how it's going to go, but I think they got a bright young mind as a offensive assistant, and I think he's going to add to the quarterback room in Green Bay. It's almost akin to adding a veteran quarterback to the room without having to take up a 53-man roster spot for somebody you're never going to play anyway. There were like this is like an ideal situation. Like you, you almost like were lacking that third quarter or that like veteran quarterback to put his arm around Jordan still, and you didn't want to obviously let go of Sean Clifford, and you didn't want to probably just add a third random quarterback that's a veteran to the roster. So you almost get this veteran, you know, 35-year-old journeyman third quarterback that you want on the team just to sort of be there for Jordan, but you don't have to use a roster spot. You just add him as an you know, offensive quality assistant and is somebody that is expected to be a bright up-and-coming coach. It's a perfect, perfect hire for Green Bay. And then they bring in Miles White as assistant receivers coach. This is another potential great hire because we know that Jason Vrabel has been tearing it up as wide receivers coach. He's also offensive uh, or passing game coordinator. He's somebody that could get an offensive coordinator job down the line. And if that happens, having a Miles White, you know, maybe work under him for a year or two before that happens to take that step over uh, could be huge for Green Bay, where maybe they don't lose a step if, in fact, Jason Vrabel does get an OC job at some point. As far as Miles White, offensive quality control coach for SMU, then a wide receivers coach for SF Austin, and a wide receivers coach for Miami of Ohio. Of course, he is a former Packers wide receiver as well. All right, a couple other notes really quick. I'm going to, as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to be talking about the 4-3 defense with Justice Mosqueda coming up this week, but I still would not go all in yet on the, wow, they're going to be doing a, a bunch of different things with the 4-3 defense. And I wouldn't go that far yet. Um, Aaron Nagler had a great conversation with Cody Alexander and they talked about, you know, even at Boston College, they, you know, he played as, even though there was a 4-3, his edge players were still standing up. I still think there's a good chance that you see a lot of these guys standing up. You might see some guys with their hands in the dirt. Guess what? You saw some guys with their hands in the dirt last year too. I don't care. And I've said this multiple times in the past. There's going to be some different things that they align. I care about the scheme. And this is still, as Brian Gutekinds mentioned, a 4-2-5 league. You're going to have four pass rushers or four down linemen, whatever you want to call them, four, four guys on your front two off-ball linebackers, a slot corner, two outside cornerbacks, two safeties. And within that, you can do a variety of different things. And guess what? You can get creative with all your different personnel packages. You can bring some seven DBs, some six DBs, some four DBs, some five defensive linemen, some four, some three, some two. You can do all of it, all right? I don't care about the personnel. Personnel is changing constantly to match what the offense is doing. That's where your focus should be on with personnel is what is the offense doing and how I'm going to match personnel against that. 
I'm not saying it's completely meaningless. It's not. And I'll talk about that with justice. There are some things that they're going to be doing differently, but it's the scheme things that they're going to be doing about differently that you should care about. Not formation, not personnel, but scheme. And the scheme changes what I think what we're really going to see with this Halfley defense. And that's what I'm excited about. Don't expect that. Even if, even if we get to week one and Rashawn Gary and Lucas Van Ness are wide nine in it with their hand in the dirt. It's not just going to change everything in like it, there'll be some advantages to that. There'll be some disadvantages to that, but that's not necessarily going to be what changes everything up. It's going to be the differences in scheme and the versatility and how they match up with the opponent dependent upon what the opponent is trying to do. And that's what I'm excited about. So if you are in fantasy land uh, already with like, oh my God, four, three, and Quay Walker is going to be a weak, you know, off-ball linebacker. And then they're going to have a true mid and that's going to be Isaiah McDuffie because he's played in the system in the past. And they're going to have a true strong side linebacker to take on the fullbacks. Guys, this is not 1996. All right. This is still going to be nickel defense predominantly. And when it's not, it's probably dime, not the other way around, not going to less. So there will be some nuance. There will be some changes. I'm excited for all of the changes, but if you've got your, you know, again, if you're fantasy booking out how this 4-3 defense is going to look, I would just pump the brakes a little bit because I think it's going to matter a whole heck of a lot less than what may be out there so far. And maybe I'm just wrong, which again, won't be the first time, won't be the last, but I don't think that side of things is actually going to make that big of a difference. But there's a lot of other stuff that will, and I'll get into that with Justice Mosqueda later this week. The next thing I want to talk about was Jordan Love and making the Super Bowl circuit. If you have not checked out his interview with Micah Parsons, it's about an hour long. It's on YouTube. Can't recommend it enough. Awesome, awesome stuff. I just love the way he had casual conversations. Sometimes when he talked with the media, it's a little bit more, you know, sort of thought out and he's kind of thinking through things. The conversational tone that he had with Cam Newton and that he had with Micah Parsons was just really kind of fun to see him let loose a little bit more and just have those great casual conversations. Uh, He did say that given the choice between choosing the path that he did or being able to play right away, he would have chose the path that he got, being able to sit behind Aaron for a few years and then finally take over. So I thought that was interesting. He had a great conversation about Aaron Jones, basically going rogue and blocking Micah Parsons, even though he wasn't supposed to, and just like doing all the right things, even though it wasn't necessarily what was part of the plan or the given call in the play. Aaron Jones, so much of the stuff that he does amazingly just goes unnoticed. And I think everyone has a great understanding for how amazing that Aaron is. I just want to tell you, and this is such a great example of, there is so much that goes unseen from pass protection to his ability to make like almost audibles on his own, like a, like a quarterback would see things and go and block a Micah Parsons, even though that's not his primary responsibility. Like just all this stuff that Aaron does. And then even just some of the stuff within the running game in and of itself and how he maneuvers himself and sets things up for himself. It's it's at a whole different level. He's a magician with what he does. And it was awesome to hear Jordan Love talk about that. And then I thought the other really interesting thing that Jordan talked about was the three interceptions against the Raiders. And he said like, that was sort of the turning point for him. He's, he was like, I was overthinking things. He's like, I would see it, but I would hesitate and I wouldn't like rip it on time. And he's like, I finally just recognized I had to trust myself. He's like, I'm, I'm making the right reads. I just got to let the ball rip. And you really saw him sort of take over from there. And I asked, it's funny because I asked him a similar question. Uh, I think the last game of the season, I just when did the game slow down for you. I think it was after the, I don't know which it was after, if it was, I forget exactly when it was. 
Um, must have been after the last home game of the season. Um, and he didn't say anything specific, but you kind of get the feeling. I know Matt's mentioned the Steelers game, but after him talking to Micah, it almost feels a little bit more like it was after that Raiders game, after the three picks of like, nope, not doing that anymore. I'm going to play a lot more confident brand of football. And then he really went out and did that, which was amazing to see. Meanwhile, uh, Jordan Love's throwing coach, Steve Calhoun, uh, he did an interview and I apologize. I think it was with Bill Huber. Um, so forgive me, Bill, or anyone else who may have wrote the report if I'm getting this wrong. Uh, but he, uh, they did an interview with Steve Calhoun of what he planned on working on with Jordan Love this offseason. And the two things he really mentioned were Jordan throwing off of his back foot. Basically, Calhoun said, hey, uh, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I haven't had the opportunity to see Jordan play that much. So I was surprised when I saw Jordan throwing off his back foot as much as he was. So he's like, that's number one. And it's very similar to the effect of, uh, maybe it was Pete Doherty, actually. It might've been Pete Doherty. It was either Pete Doherty or Bill Huber. Pete, sorry if I got it wrong. Uh, but um, either way, uh, love throwing off his, his uh, back foot is, is number one on the list. And, you know, something that even Jordan has said like, hey, it's something that I can do when I need to, but it probably doesn't want to be like the the default setting. And I think that's going to be a beautiful thing for Jordan to work on in the offseason. It would be my 1A as well. And then number two was deep ball accuracy. And I think it's just some of those fundamentals. And it has to be drilled in because one of the big things is if you are in the heat of the moment, you're going to basically just auto, you're going to go on autopilot and what's natural to you. So you have to somehow find a way that the fundamental approach is what's natural to you, not fading away and falling back and maybe not throwing with the accuracy that you want. So, I mean, the scary thing is, and the thing that puts a smile on my face every time is that Jordan just went out and had an unreal first season, first season as a starter. And there's still like basic fundamental stuff that he can work on just to even become more accurate. It's a scary, scary thought for the rest of the league. And it should be an amazing, amazing thought for Packer fans. Really quick on the Super Bowl, obviously Chiefs win, really big win for the Chiefs, obviously devastating what happened at the parade, um, obviously insanely sick of all that crap um, and what goes on in this country, unfortunately. But what I want to stick to is uh, the Super Bowl. And just what I want to say really, really quick about this, how refreshing was it? How refreshing was it that we are talking about the overtime, not about a team that didn't get a fair shake, not about a team that... Um, you know, one team went down and immediately scored or one because they won the coin toss or how unfair the overtime rules are. What are we, what were we talking about right after the Super Bowl? Super er, overtime strategy. Thank you. Thank you, NFL. That is what we should be talking about is the strategy of what you do in overtime, not some team getting screwed because they didn't win a coin toss. I don't know that this is the be all end all and the perfect way to do playoff overtime, but it is certainly better. There is a few a former world in which the 49ers just win that Super Bowl because they win the toss, they take the ball, and they go down and they kick a field goal. Game over. 49ers win the Super Bowl. Chiefs don't repeat. And that version sucked. That version sucked. So NFL, you get a lot of crap wrong sometimes, but thank you for making an overtime system where the day after when we were talking about it, we were not talking about how stupid the playoff or the overtime system was. We were talking about overtime strategy and what Kyle Shanahan got wrong and what Andy Reid got right. That was amazing. And that's what I appreciated. And by the way, how amazing would it have been in this version of it if the 49ers did go down and score a touchdown and get the extra point 
and score seven and the Chiefs go down and score a touchdown. And they have said since that if they were in that situation, they were going to go for two. How epic would that have been if the entire season, everything came down to one two-point conversion, Chiefs offense, 49ers defense, two-point conversion for everything. Can you imagine the drama on that play? Oh, I'm, so, I'm sad to some extent that we didn't get to see it, but I'm so happy that those are the discussions that we're having about the Super Bowl. By the way, I thought the ref crew overall did a really nice job. We're not talking about awful referee calls or things like that. Just a good, clean game of football that we got to talk about strategy more than anything else and a clean, good win for the Chiefs and another really disappointing loss for Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers, which of course you hate to see. Hall of Fame, uh, Julius Peppers, former Green Bay Packer, uh, elected to the Hall of Fame. Love to see that. Played three seasons in Green Bay. I did not recognize he only played four in Chicago. He only played one less year in Green Bay than he played in Chicago. Played 10 seasons in Carolina, started there and ended his career there. His three seasons in Green Bay, his 34, 35, and 36-year-old season. So he was up there in age when he came to Green Bay Then played, I think, a season or two in Carolina after that. Had 25 sacks in those three seasons with Green Bay, two picks, eight forced fumbles, four fumble recoveries, two touchdowns, and one Pro Bowl appearance in his three seasons in Green Bay. Meanwhile, Steve Mongo McMichael, who played 15 seasons in the league, his final season of which was in Green Bay as a member of the Packers. In that season, he played 16 games, started 14, had 2.5 sacks, 28 tackles, one forced fumble, and one fumble recovery uh, the rest of his career. He played one season for New England, and then the rest of his career, he was in Chicago. He was also elected to the Hall of Fame. I know he's battling through some medical stuff, so uh, prayers out to him and thoughts out to him. Uh, hopefully, he can get out there to Canton, and uh, I know that's what he was fighting for, was to be able to get to Canton and see him himself enshrined in the Hall of Fame, so would love to see that for him. Of course, another famous Steve Mongo McMichael moment was Slamboree 1997, WCW, Steve McMichael versus Reggie White in a wrestling match. Mongo McMichael tried to escape. And of course, Gilbert Brown came bounding out and made sure that he couldn't escape. And Mongo had to go back in the ring. And unfortunately, Mongo won with a briefcase to the back of Reggie White at the end with some referee distraction. And uh, McMichael got the one, two, three that day on Reggie White and Reggie White's only career, I believe, only career professional wrestling match. Uh, big win for Mongo, big loss for Reggie White on the day. Meanwhile, Bears release Cody Whitehair and Eddie Jackson. So releases have started. I've seen some people throw out there. Eddie Jackson is a name for the secondary. I will be a hard pass on that. Jackson's not been the same really since Adrian Amos left Chicago. Uh, was awesome in his prime, just has not been anywhere near that. I would go younger and probably even cheaper, to be honest. Uh, Eddie Jackson reminded me a little bit too much of late. Haha, <laughs> Clinton Dix. Um, and like I said, I would be a hard pass on that. Uh, Cody Whitehair, great year, or great career in Chicago. Last couple of years haven't been anything to write home about, but probably a rotational, you know, minimum type veteran at this point in his career. Uh, probably nothing more than that. Probably not anything Green Bay would be interested in. But Chicago clearing cap space. We'll see what they do with it this offseason. Meanwhile, expectations are running rampant in Green Bay. I've already seen Super Bowl favorite predictions. I think Matt Bowen, uh, former Green Bay Packer, predicted the Packers as their, his early favorite to win the Super Bowl next year. Don't think he was the only one on ESPN to do so. Jordan Love's getting some MVP love already. Let me just say it's a little too much too fast. It's not, it's not wrong. It's not wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying I was hoping that the Packers 
We're going to fly a little bit more under the radar, a little bit longer, and quite clearly that is not the case. Green Bay has their work cut out for them if they want to meet these. They, they went from, hey, this team is like, they're not even going to sniff the playoffs and it's Aaron Rodgers is over and you guys have got to go to the back of the line to all of a sudden they're Super Bowl and MVP favorites again. Like this is going to be a very interesting season. The the dynamic has changed to say the least. Like I said, I was hoping they were going to go over like under the radar for one more season. That is very clearly not the case. People have Green Bay uh, in their crosshairs already and are making some bold predictions for what the Packers are going to do. They've made some great moves this offseason already on the coaching side. We have a lot of things to cover yet on the you know free agency draft front and can't wait to get to all of it. Of course, if you're not following Ross Uglum's daily draft series, he is crushing it. You're going to want to make sure to check out that every single weekday. Shout out to our new members, Nitty Gritty, The Anonymous Man, Donald Decker, Mark Nichols, Thaddeus Kaufman, Todd Hildebrandt, Kenny Lear, Adam Nelson, Jonathan Lord, M.A., Alex Peterson, Greg Sandell, Cam Hurd, Ethan D., Lucas Lennard, Ian Lowe, Alex Cardenas, Flores, and Oscar Martinez. And a shout out to our Hall of Fame and All-Pro members, Most Hated Minnesotan, PJ Wynn, John Wild, Shea Bradad, Brandon Paletta, Jennifer Wright, Boom Handle, Donald Lee, Lori Lord, Baby QB, David McCluskey, and Donald Decker. My goodness, does it feel good to be back. Thank you so much for being here. I'll be right back here tomorrow with an all-new episode. You will not want to miss it. Subscribe, like, comment, become a Pack-A-Day Podcast YouTube member. Guess what? I'm going to be right back here tomorrow. I'll see you soon, but until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. Thank you.